Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you. Still a bunch of folks looking for seats. So if you have one near you, uh, wave your hand violently and say, sit with me, baby, and uh, see if they can uh, come and get a spot with you. Great time to remind you about uh, the extension uh, that is just down the road, a great place, neat place to worship. And uh, services start there kind of 15 minutes or so later than our services here at Gent Road. And also Saturday night, uh, lots of seating and parking, and you get 2% off your tithe on Saturday night. So I encourage you to, to be a part of that. But welcome, everybody. Welcome, everybody watching online. Hi, everybody at the extension. Welcome. And at the video venues around the area, it's great to, to be together with all of you guys uh, my name's Jeff. If I haven't met you before and you're here uh, in the, at Gent Road, I'd love to meet you and say hi to you after services. There's one thing I want to just double click on with you, and that is the discovery groups that are launching today. They'll be this afternoon. I encourage you guys, if you at all are feeling uh, disconnected or if you feel new at Grace, Discovery will help with that a ton. So Discovery is a a way to connect with people. It's a way to tie in. Uh, If you kind of do the math and realize there's a lot more going on at Grace than just the services, Discovery will explain all that to you. We do serve Chipotle at it. That is for real. So you can come for Chipotle, but if you don't stay for Discovery, we tase you and drop you off a Taco Bell. So if you don't want any of that to happen, uh, but if you're watching online or at one of the venues and you haven't done Discovery yet, encourage you guys to do that. By, by the time you're through it, it really will take away that feeling. And, uh, and you'll feel at home at Grace and you'll feel connected and kind of the question marks will be go, go away. So it's the one thing we really kind of push a little bit and really encourage you to be a part of because it's so helpful. And so encourage you to do that. I, I will teach it. I'd love to meet you uh, this afternoon and connect with you. So come out to that if, if you're able to, okay? All right, we're in a new series right now that we call Untamed. Pastor Ryan kicked it off last weekend, and we're talking about our emotions. Emotions are a good thing. They're given to us by God. They help us to understand each other. So 99% of the time when we're describing relationships, we do that in emotional terms. So emotions are given to us by God to understand him and to understand each other. But emotions, like all aspects of our lives, have to be brought under God's definition and control. And when our emotions move outside of God's definition and control, they start to wound instead of help. And so they can wound each other. They can become barriers in our relationship with God. And if we're seeking to do what Jesus said, Jesus said the two biggest things are this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. If I'm seeking to do those two things, my emotions can help or hurt. They can block or be a barrier in my relationship with God, and they can wound our relationships with each other. So that's why we're digging at them. And we're talking about kind of core or baseline stuff. So last weekend, uh, Pastor Ryan started talking about our pain and our hurt and how our hurt and our pain kind of flows out into all kinds of different types of emotions. And he said, if you, if you see those symptoms and you track them back to your source, a lot of times what you'll find are wounds. Something has blown up in your life somewhere. And if you can deal with the source, not cover it, 
but actually deal with it, it'll free up your life later on. So he says, sometimes we got to go back to go forward. We got to go back to go forward and deal with that. Encourage you to watch that. It was a great conversation that he had with us. It's online. It's on the app. It's, there's podcasts. All of it's available. Encourage you to take a little time this week and listen to that or watch it. Uh, this weekend, I want to take you into another one of these baseline kind of things. And, and what we're going to talk about, the Bible describes it as a, sometimes as an emotion, certainly as a temptation, sometimes a sin, sometimes a heart position. It, it's, a, it's a baseline thing that presents itself in all kinds of different ways. And when you, when you look at the symptoms, sometimes we'll address the symptoms, but we, we, the, to really get at it, we want to backtrack that symptom to its source and kind of deal with that core thing. And the core thing that we're going to talk about this weekend is what the Bible calls envy. Envy. And envy will present itself a bunch of different ways. It'll come out, sometimes we'll call it jealousy. Uh, sometimes we'll, we'll be angry because we're envious. Sometimes we'll be gossipy because we're, because we're envious, right? We'll look at somebody, how is Pastor Jeff that sexy? It can't be natural, right? So it is, <laughs> I get that a lot, right? So, <laughs> like, so, but we'll, we'll look at that kind of stuff and it'll, it'll kind of show up in these different ways. But if you look at that symptom and you track it back to its source, there's kind of a, a source issue that the Bible would address, and the Bible would call it bitter envy or selfish ambitions, kind of its cousin. And it would say, if you're not tackling that and working with it, it's going to cause all kinds of destructive things in your life. Now, this is what happens. Sometimes we have, I call them blow-off sins. They're sins that we're so used to that we, we're kind of like numb to hearing about it, and then we don't worry about it. We just kind of blow it off. Gossip is like that. How we treat our bodies is like, yeah, I probably shouldn't have my fifth Big Mac. You know, we're kind of, it's kind of a blow-off sin. Envy's that way. And we'll say, yeah, everybody kind of is a little bit jealous of other people sometimes. Everybody kind of wishes that their life was different. And it's a, it's a blow-off sin. We just don't think much about it. We're like, hey, it's not adultery. It's not murder. I mean, come on. It's just, it's just a little jealousy. It's a blow-off sin. So it's fascinating when, when you start looking into the Bible and you start seeing how God deals with envy, it's, it's kind of a little shocking how strongly he talks about it and how straightforward he is about what it is and what it does in your life. So let me show you this. If you got your Bibles, open them up to James chapter 3. James chapter 3, or it's on the app and those things on your phone too. But James chapter 3, verse 14, God says this, if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition, that word harbor is an interesting word. Because the word harbor is this idea. If I know it's in my heart and I blow it off. If I, 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 know, I know I'm kind of like that and, and I, I just don't deal with it. I harbor it. Sometimes I enjoy something that I harbor. Sometimes I act on things that I harbor. It becomes kind of a driver in my life. So James is, is, is keying into that. He's saying to us, if, if you find yourself harboring, it's in there and you know it and you're not dealing with it. If you harbor bitter envy or selfish ambition in your heart, don't boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven. And this is the shocking language, but is earthly, <clears throat> unspiritual, demonic. You're like, I'm just a little bit jealous. I'm the jealous type. Mm. And James is like, don't, don't make it a blow off sin here. 
You got to know if that's in you and it's driving you and it's working in your, in your heart, it's a big deal. And it's earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. And, and why has God make it a big deal? Here it is. <clears throat> For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you'll find disorder and every evil practice. And the apostle James, who was Jesus's brother, who didn't believe Jesus was God till after the resurrection and then worshiped him as God and died because he wouldn't deny that Jesus rose again from the dead. So now he's speaking on God's behalf and he says, this is a big deal. Uh, this is a big deal because if you harbor that, you gotta know like when that kicks up in your mind and in your heart, that is, that's not from God. That's not like God's burning you on, your best life now, follow your dreams. When, when you see that, that is from Satan or it's earthly wisdom. And it is earthly, it is unspiritual, it's reminiscent of something that's demonic, see? And it will lead you to terrible places. It will lead you to disorder. Maybe the reason why your friendships are always breaking down. Maybe the ongoing tension in your marriage. Maybe the right, maybe it's not just civil, sibling rivalry. Maybe envy is in there. Disorder. Your, your relationships will be chaotic and it will take you to evil practices. You start working envy and you start allowing that to drive your life, it will only, it can only be fed and acted on in sin. You, you'll start to sin. You'll start throwing the elbow at work because you got to get ahead of that guy. You'll start the gossip train because you don't want her to be more popular than you are. It's evil practices. So James walks in and he says, man, this is, this is like, it's not a blow off sin. It's more of like a baseline thing. And it, and it presents itself in all these different ways. We would describe envy with a bunch of different adjectives. You know, we would describe it all kinds of ways. But if you track it back, something's way off in the heart. And when you recognize it, when you sense it, when you see it in yourself, know where that comes from, know what it's about. And we got to deal with that. We got to root it out and get it under God's definition and direction. Envy would sound like this. Envy would, would be, a, a biblical envy would be a thing on which we're looking and saying, I want something that you have for myself. The Bible would describe it this way. It's a feeling of discontent and ill will because of another's advantage. So I'm looking at you and I'm saying, I wish your life was my life. And because I wish your life was my life, I'm discontent with my life and I'm pretty honked off that you have your life. I envy it. I want it. I wish it was me because I perceive that you have an advantage that maybe I don't think you deserve or can handle. Selfish ambition is acting on envy, basically. So in the Bible, selfish ambition is a self-seeking attitude bent on seeking advantage for yourself or your group. So I wish your life was my life. I'm going to work to take your life and make it mine. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to accelerate myself, function in evil practices, to try to take advantage of it so that I or my group, I, we wind up with the advantage that we perceive that you have. 
And James is saying, you start to see that stuff in your heart, let your radars go off because it's going to lead you to disorder and it's going to lead you to every evil practice. Envy sounds like this. Envy would think this way. Uh, you need to give me what you have in order for me to be happy. I can't possibly be happy with what I have. I have to have what you have. I want in my life what you have in your life. Until I get it, there's no possibility for me to have happiness or fulfillment or joy in my own life. Envy would, would sound like this. It would think like this. You have what I want or need, therefore I was ripped off. The reason you have the advantage is because I, it was stolen from me. You have nice things because I don't have nice things. You have opportunities because I don't have opportunities. You, you have a great relationship because I don't have a great relationship. The only way you could be where you're at is because the advantage was stolen from me. Envy would sound like this. If I had your perceived advantages, I would use them better than you. Right? If I had a million dollars, I wouldn't be a rich snob. I would be the most generous person in the world. Would you? Are you sure? Because you have a hundred bucks and you're not generous with it now, so I'm just saying. Right? But that's the way envy would think. If I, had, if I had what you had, I would use it right. You use it wrong. And so I should have it. Envy would think, if you got that, I should have something of equal value. If, if you're driving a Ferrari, then we should all have Ferraris. I'm stuck with this Yukon. I can't believe I'm here. Right? The problem is, if we all got Ferraris, then the Yukon would become a collector's thing and be the most valuable thing in the room. So I win. Right? So see how that works? Envy would sound like that. It, it would look and say, I, I, have, I have a bitterness, a resentment, because I perceive you have an advantage. Selfish ambition is I'm going to act on that. I'm going to see if I can take your advantage and bring it to me because of envy. Now, this is what happens. This, this is why envy becomes a blow-off sin, because when we think about envy, a lot of times what we think about is like the shallow parts of envy, right? So it's kind of like junior high-ish kind of stuff. Her hair, and she's so pretty, and he's such a great athlete, and I wish I was him. And we kind of think that way. And most of us, not all of us, but most of us are mature enough that we're kind of over somebody having a nicer car than we have or over somebody having a bigger house than we have. And so you look at that and you're like, I don't, come on, Jeff. Like, yeah, really immature people are that way, but I'm not that way. I'm content enough and they have what they have and I've kind of grown up and therefore I don't struggle with envy. I don't think about addressing it in my life. And I would say that's probably pretty true for most of us. Most of us are mature enough that we don't really care that much what somebody else has as long as kind of our needs are met. So envy isn't going to show up generally in these really, really shallow ways in our life. Where envy shows up in our lives is in the very deep parts of our life. So you can drive what you want and I'll drive what I want and I don't really care but man, your marriage is happy, healthy, and sexy, and mine stinks. And your wife is really into you, and she thinks you're great, and mine is a she-devil. <laughs> and when, when I lay in bed at night, I, not in a lustful way, in a relational way, in an envious way, I long for your marriage and I resent mine. 
I, 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 I am 45 years old and, and my life should be here and it's here and your life, you're ahead of me. You're on your way to the CEO. I'm stuck at middle management and I wanted my life to take this path and yours actually did. And I, I'm jealous, I resent, I'm envious of that. See, I, I, I'm single and you were single and you met somebody and you're getting married and I'm still single. See, and I, I, and I, I don't even know if I'm gonna go to the wedding because... Ugh. She's changed so much since she met him. Right. <laughs> She's getting married, so. But what's happening to her isn't happening to you, but you wish that it was. See, I, I want to have another baby, and I'm having trouble with it. You sneeze and get pregnant. And I'm, see, I... I, I I look at my life and, and I want something different. I, what's happening to your kids, I thought was gonna happen to my kids. And your kid, because you're, you're rich and they just got into that school and you know the president and they made the team because you're friends with the coach. And see, it's, pro, it's probably not gonna show up in like the parking lot. It's gonna show up in more of those kind of things. And God is like, right that stuff, that stuff is the dangerous stuff. The I wish my car was your car is the shallow stuff. The dangerous stuff is I, I really long for your life because what's happening to you, I wish was happening to me and it's not and it drives me crazy and I'm struggling with envy. Proverbs 14 says, a heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones. That gets in us and it, it breeds disorder and every evil practice because it's just stewing in my heart, tearing down my relationships, blocking my gratitude and my interaction with God. James says, when you see that, you need to know when that flares kind of its, its ugly head in your life, you need to know where that comes from. He uses some words here. He says, what that is, is earthly. Earthly envy stems from a short-sighted view of your life's investment. So James says, when you, when you start struggling with envy, you need to understand that's an earthly mindset. An earthly mindset says this, I only have one life. You only go around once, so it, I have to win this part of my life. And the Bible would say, you don't go around once, you go around forever. You're eternal. And that this part of your life is a vapor and the eternal part of your life is the life that you're really gonna live. You were created by God for that very purpose, that Paul says. And so when, I, when I'm like, I gotta win and I gotta get ahead and I gotta make the team and I gotta be the most popular and I gotta be the prettiest and I gotta, and my kids gotta succeed and my dreams have to come true. James says, that's, a, that's an earthly, careful, like it's a radar that goes off. It's an earthly thing and an earthly mindset that is going to lead to disorder and every evil practice. And then he goes on and he calls it unspiritual. Unspiritual envy stems from a life void of Christ's definition. So now I'm making decisions that, that don't involve Christ at all. It's just me trying to achieve or get ahead of the other person. It's a fascinating passage in the book of Isaiah 
book of Isaiah chapter 14, God is talking in the book of Isaiah to Satan. And, and he's talking to him about why he tried to overthrow Christ. So the Bible says this, Satan was created as the greatest angel that's ever been created. The Bible calls him an angel of light. He's actually very beautiful. And his beauty went to his head. And what Satan tried to do was rebel against God and overthrow God and become God. And God defeated that and cast Satan out of heaven. And he's talking to Satan in Isaiah chapter 14 about what he was thinking when he was in the middle of that rebellion. Let me read it to you, what God says, and I want you to catch a pattern in it. Okay, ready? God said this, verse 13, you said in your heart, he's talking to Satan, you said this in your heart, ready? I will ascend to the heavens. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned in the mount of assembly on the utmost heights. I will ascend from the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. Catch the pattern? James comes and he says, when you find a pattern of eyes in myself in your life, you need to recognize that's unspiritual. It's void of God. It's like the demons would think it's demonic. I got ripped off. My life didn't go the way. I should have got the promote. I should have got ahead. I was better than that kid, but I got cut. I'm the one. Why is it my dreams coming true? And James says, man, when you see a pattern of eyes and mys in your life, know that you're struggling with envy. And the pattern of eyes and mys in your life is unearthly, it's unspiritual, it's demonic, it's reminiscent of the way that Satan thinks. And it's in no way reminiscent of the way that the person of God or the people of God would think it's envy. And it rots the bones. It will cause disorder in your earthly relationships. It will lead you to sin. It will become a barrier in your interaction with God. Envy robs us of gratitude, robs us of joy and contentment and peace and enjoyment and love. And not only does it rob you, but then it leaves you hungry. It never satisfies you. It never achieves what you hoped it would achieve. It will never fulfill you. It cannot do that. And God would look and say, that's why it's not a blow-off sin. It's not a blow-off sin. And even if you're mature enough to not look at your neighbor's house and wish it was yours, down deep, when you're looking at the life that God has crafted for you, do you embrace it or do you resent it and wish that their life was your life, what was happening to them was happening to you? Now, the question, of course, is what do you do about it, right? Because envy at its core is a temptation. So envy, the, the, the temptation to be jealous or selfish or envious, it's not going away, right? It's a part of our life because of the world we live in. So realizing, like, stop being envious. And you're like, well, I can't. Like, I'm trying, but I just can't make that go away. So when I'm dealing with that temptation, what would the Bible teach me to do in those moments? 
And I started looking at that and kind of looking at the patterns of the scripture. And, and what I would say is this, I'm going to give you two words. I'm going to give you two words in a minute. And these words are going to, are going to be tools that you can use to deal with envy in your life. The first word is going to be about loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's a response to that. And so the first word I'm going to give you is going to help you lock in a heart position that helps you love God or helps you respond to God correctly. The second word is going to help you love your neighbor as yourself. And it's not so much a heart position as it is a cognitive decision. When I am tempted to think this way, I can choose to do this instead. Okay, so let's talk about kind of our interaction with God first. The first word that's going to help us with our heart position is this. It's the word trust, trust. Here's kind of the foundation of this. When I am envious, when I am looking at my life and saying, I wish my life wasn't my life, I wish your life was my life. What is at the core of that is my ability and willingness to trust God that he has my life where he wants it to be. And when I look at my life and say, I don't like my life, I don't like what's happening in my life, I don't like the people in my life, I don't like anything, I don't like the circumstances of my life, I want your life to be in my life and I'll throw the elbow, I'll do the selfish ambition to make your life my life. Ultimately, what I'm saying is, God, I don't trust you to design and to execute my life. I'm going to do it myself. And the book of Proverbs says this. It's kind of an answer to that. Chapter three, verses five, and then I'll quote you verse six. Verse five says, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Verse six says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. God would say, don't trust your understanding of what your life should be. Trust my understanding of what your life should be. Don't lean into your understanding, lean into mine. Jeff's understanding is this. My understanding is this. If everybody would just do what I told them to do, the world would be a better place, right? I believe that very strongly, right? And if everybody would do what I tell them to do, and if God would supply my needs the way that I told him to supply my needs, and God would bless me the way that I asked him to bless me, then my life would be cruising, I would be fulfilled, I would be happy, and I would achieve for God whatever God wanted me to achieve for him. He really should dial me in when he's making his decisions. That's my understanding. My temptation is always to lean into my own understanding. This is where envy comes in. When my understanding of how life should function is played out in your life, I'm envious. That's the life I should be living. Why is that jerk living it? See, God, make that happen for me. That's what would be best. And God would come in and say, let me do some God math for you. My math would play out like this. I have a plan. You were created. Your days were ordained in advance to do the good works that I created you to do. Follow me and trust me. I'm accomplishing what's best for you, even if you don't understand it. Trust me. And it's fascinating that spiritual reward is always found here. It's never found here. It's never found in earthly gain. It's always found in spiritual trust. 
When you're over here and saying, I want to serve God and I'm rich, I'm famous, I'm hot, I'm built, I'm sexy, I married a hot Brazilian girl, like I'm Jeff, right? And so all these things kind of happen in my life and I love Jesus. The response to the people around me is going to be, I bet you do because everything goes your way. You love Jesus. When I'm over here in God's math and he's saying, count your trials as joy, Think of your light and momentary struggles as making heavenly bank for you. They're laying up for yourself a crown and glory. Make heavenly investments with your money, not just earthly comfort with your money. And my life is not the way that I wanted it to go. And I don't have every advantage in the world. And I struggle and my relationships are difficult and my struggles are real and my health failed and I love Jesus. You love Jesus? Yeah. And my pain is always a better platform for the gospel of Jesus Christ than my prophet is. And my faith is always more clearly displayed in my disadvantage than it is and my advantage. And God might look at us and say, if you'll trust me, you're going to make bank. You're going to make a bigger spiritual impact than you would ever choose to make on your own. You're going to be rewarded eternally, not just in the vapor that we call our earthly life. And if you want to have a heavenly reward from a spiritual mindset that reflects the heart of God, trust me. Trust me. And when I trust God and I lean on his understanding, not my own, it's amazing how my envy pushes down and my selfish ambition is quit, I quit acting on it. Because I'm embracing the life God is giving me instead of longing for the life that he gave to somebody else. It was his plan for them. It just wasn't his plan for me. It corrects my relationship with God as I'm seeking to love him with my heart, my soul, my mind, my strength. So trust. Now, the other word hits the second commandment. I'm going to love my neighbor as myself. And so I'm going to always be tempted because I always, we're always tempted to be jealous. We're always tempted to be covet, to, to covet things, all this kind of stuff. It's a temptation. And I want to resist that temptation And I know that if I let envy get in, it will rot away my bones and my relationship with other people. So what do I do when I'm struggling with that temptation? What's the cognitive choice that I can make biblically that will help me love my neighbor as myself? First word is trust. Here's the second word, ready? Second word is rejoice. Rejoice. When something wonderful happens for someone else, I'm going to rejoice with them in in lieu of being envious of them. Fascinating thing the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse five, he says this, rejoice with those who rejoice, mourn with those who mourn. What the Bible does is this, there's, there's about 55 what we call one another's. And the Bible says this, you want to love your neighbor as yourself. We want real friendships, an intimate marriage, a close marriage. We want real ties with our kids and our parents and our siblings and our family. We want to be really connected as a spiritual family, as a church. This is what we all long for down deep. 
And the Bible says, here's 55 things that you can do that will help you achieve the depth of relationship and intimacy that you long for. We call it the one another's. Pray with one another, confess your sins to one another, bear with one another, forgive one another. And the list goes on and on and on. And two of those one another's are right here. Rejoice with one another and mourn with one another. And the Bible says that as you do these one another's, what it does is it expresses love to each other. It expresses or reflects the heart of God to one another. And it creates relationships on deep, deep levels with each other as we love and give to one another in the ways that God tells us to do. It's fascinating when you start thinking about that, that that's the key to deep relationships. And if you start doing the math in this passage, it makes sense. So for instance, if you have someone that you love, it's a friend, it's a family member, it's your spouse, it's whoever, just anybody that you love, it would make all the sense in the world that when they mourn, you mourn with them, right? If somebody you love has a tragedy in their life, when you enter that tragedy with them and you mourn with them, it bonds you and deepens your relationship with them. If your friend's dad passed away and you're praying with them and they're having a funeral and you drop everything and you go to that funeral and you mourn with those who mourn, it speaks enormous amounts of love to that person. It deepens your relationship because you're in that intimate, painful moment with them and it expresses love to them. It would make all the sense in the world that we mourn with those who mourn. In fact, if you fail to mourn with those who mourn, it would wound that relationship deeply. If your friend's dad passed away and they were sharing their heart with you and they said the funeral's on Tuesday and you were like, yeah, man, the calves are on, so I probably won't make it, you know, because it's important to watch them this year. It's a rebound year, so hope funeral goes well. It, it would wound that relationship deeply. If, you're, if your spouse came home and she had been working for the promotion and she got passed up after investing in it for a bunch of years and she was disappointed and grieving the loss of that dream and she came home and she shared with you and she shed tears and she poured her heart out to you and you were like, yeah, honey, the, the, the Browns are like, they're only behind by 14, so maybe if there's a miracle we can... If you blew that off, it would, she would be mad and hurt and wounded. You'd have to work that through because you did not mourn with the one who mourned. It makes all the sense in the world that if I didn't mourn with someone who was mourning, that it would hurt them, wound them, distant me from them. And in the same exact sentence, God says, rejoice with those who rejoice. The same wound would happen when something wonderful happened to somebody that I love, and instead of rejoicing with them, I responded to them with jealousy, selfishness, anger, bitterness, envy. When, when, when envy comes in, and what we talked about, we, we, we dreamed about meeting that someone special. We were like wingmen, you know? We talked about it. We talked about different relationships. And now I've met someone 
and our dream is now coming true for me, and you're not going to the wedding? You, you, you come to the funeral, but you won't come to the wedding. You won't rejoice. It wounds me. When we dream, when we were in college and we dreamed of starting businesses and we're in it to win it and we dreamed about it and you hit it and I'm still struggling for it and you won't, you're blowing me off. You don't want to see. We drink, we, we used to talk about when the kids were little about how, you know, someday we're going to make it into that other neighborhood and that school district, and it's going to be great. We'd drive over there, and we'd talk about it when we were having wings, and, and now we can afford it, but you can't, and you, you don't want to hang out with us? And envy comes in, and it will replace this, rejoicing with those who rejoice, and it will destroy the intimacy that that creates. Husband comes home, gets the promotion and the big pay raise, and the wife's response is great. Now I guess he's got to live in a shadow. He's going to big breadwinner. And now suddenly, somehow we're not equals, but I can't share that because you're jealous of me, I guess. Siblings, men, we're very bad at this. If you have brothers, Men, you have grown up competing your whole life. It starts in the driveway and it goes right through, right? And suddenly your sibling gets it. They make the team, you don't. They get the girl, you don't. They get the job, you're stuck. They get the house, you don't. And now I'm, I'm bitterly envious of my brother, not because he's a jerk, but because he's living the life I wish I was living. See how that works? And God would say, yeah, when something wonderful happens for someone else, one of the keys to the depth of relationship, we would run to each other's side here and we would avoid each other here. If someone stood up and said, this is what is grieving me, this horrible thing happened to me, we would weep with them, we would comfort them, we would pray for them. But if someone stood up and said, guess what happened to me? We would tend to look and say, arrogant, stuck up, snobby, show off, fishing for a compliment, jerk. Why? Because we wanted it to happen to us. See how that works? God would say, no, we, we rejoice. Why wouldn't we rejoice? Because I want to happen to me what happened to you and I'm envious, and it destroys and breaks and ruins and rots the bones. It is the cause of so much disorder. It is the path to evil practices. It's not a blow-off sin. It's actually one of the foundational things that separates us from God and separates us from each other, see? When I think about these ideas, I, I often think of my buddy, Jason. Jason and Marcy Haymaker. Jason and I have been friends since we were freshmen in high school. Same high school, same college. 
He's a pastor, I'm a pastor, same career, same seminary, and we started churches at the same time. So we have these very parallel lives. And it's very, very easy, we consider each other to be brothers, it's very easy to be competitive, right? Because what I want to happen to me sometimes happens to him, and what he wants to happen to him sometimes happens to me. And so there's always like this temptation to be competitive. And when I think about Jason, and his wife, Marcy, Heidi and I's dear friends, we would never hesitate to mourn with them. In fact, 15, 16 years ago, when we found out that Heidi's mom had brain cancer, I'll never forget standing in the Cleveland Clinic, getting that news. And then after we, we kind of loved on everybody and hugged the family, it was time to leave. Heidi and I went out to the parking garage and we called Jason and Marcy and just said, can we come over? They didn't even know for what. And they, we, yeah, so we went right there, opened the door, kind of collapsed into their arms, cried with them. Mom's diagnosis was three months, you know? And our friends mourned with us. And it created a bond and an intimacy and a memory and a connection that you'll, you'll it's, it's, it's so valuable, it's indescribable. Jason is also the first person I call when something good happens to me. Because wonderful things happen to me, and I'll be honest with you, if I say it out loud, people call me arrogant. I quit telling people what happens to me. I have like a whole box of plaques that I don't keep anywhere. Because I found out that you're not, real, you're not really invited to rejoice. But I can rejoice with Jason and sometimes the plaque I got is the one that he wanted. And sometimes the plaque he got is the one that I wanted. Sometimes the biggest test of our relationship is not the hard times, it's the good times. But I have as much confidence in his willingness to mourn with me as I have in his willingness to rejoice with me. Even though we do the same thing, we're at the same age, we have the same background, we're from the same town. So it means that sometimes I'm ahead and sometimes he's ahead and neither one of us care. They're sure there's always gonna be a temptation because I do want what he wants, but I also want it for him. See how that works? To rejoice, to deal with envy. And it totally alters our relationship with God it totally alters our relationship with others. And if left untamed, I love that phrase in, in Proverbs, if left untamed, it rots the bones. But if yielded to Christ, definition and direction, it breeds peace and enjoyment and contentment and wonder in our lives. I was trying to think of ways to kind of give you handles to, to wrestle with this weekend. And here's the questions I, I thought up, right? Here's the first one. Maybe ask yourself this question. Is there anybody anywhere on planet Earth that you have a broken relationship with, ready? 
because of your envy. Well, they're a jerk, Jeff. Okay, you win. But let's just look at you. Because of your envy, where you look and say, I actually just, now that I know and we've had this conversation, if I'm honest, I'm just jealous. Any place that you have, the Bible says, as much as it's up to you, live at peace with all men, that you have an ability to do something about it. Here's the second question. Is there any relationship you have anywhere on earth that when you think about, why, how come we're not friends anymore? How come, why am I always judgmental of that person? How come every time they say something, I have to say something bigger, the big one-upper thing? Why don't I, why, why don't I want to go to my brother's house for Thanksgiving? Is there any relationship anywhere on earth that the distance is because of your envy? Remember, I can only talk to you. Well, they did that, I know. Just talking to you. And here's the last question. This is the toughest. Do you trust Christ? Because God has a plan for your life and he has a path for your life and you were created in advance to do the good works that he called for you to do. And he has a plan and a path for other people's lives too. And sometimes what God wants for other people, we kind of like for ourselves, but it's not God's plan. Do you trust Christ? Do you, do you see the wonder of what he's doing in you? Are, are you mining out the spiritual richness, right? James, if you're, if you're harboring this, man, if, if, if this conversation has thrown flags, James, like that's earthly, unspiritual, demonic. It's going to wound you. He's not wagging his finger. He's, he's begging for your attention. It's going to cause disorder. It's going to take evil practices. It's going to rot your bones. And God wants so much more for you. Trust him. Rejoice for people you love. Right? And tame envy. All right. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we love you. Help us with this. We all, all of us struggle. God, there's not a person on the planet that doesn't struggle with this. But you are greater than the one, than the one in the world. If, if we're your followers... And your Holy Spirit indwells us, then love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control can, can be the hallmarks of our lives. So God, that, that's the calling to reach out and embrace your willingness to change our heart, change our mind and make us a new person. So in these moments, God, as we think and pray, would you press in? challenge us, convict us, change us, comfort us, whatever we need to trust you and to rejoice with others and to lean into the path you have for us. Work in our hearts in these moments, Jesus, in your name, amen.